Daryl. Um, anyway, let's get started here. Enough uh, uh, Jared and I bantering, and, and sorry for the slightly late start, was watching the end of uh, Liverpool-Newcastle, um, which was an exciting finish if, if one is into the proper football. Uh, this is Colin Shots. I'm Seth Partnow. I am joined today, not quite an emergency pod, but... Uh, but a, a timely pod to talk about, you know, the, the one seemingly outstanding piece of business in the NBA this offseason, which is all surrounding the New York Knicks. Uh, Jared Dubin. Jared, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me, as always. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So there's, there's basically, obviously, the, 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 the main news in the NBA this week is R.J. Barrett got a four-year, sounds like 107 plus add-ons that could take it up to 120. Uh, million dollar extension Um, and then uh, some speculation as to what that means for any possible Donovan Mitchell let's just start with the the, just the Barrett part of it itself Um, you know I've I've certainly had a lot to say about RJ Barrett over over the years but uh, first of all what do you think as a Knicks fan what do you what do you what do you take from from this 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 extension I mean I, I take that they got a deal that they thought was good value for them, and it just happened to happen in the context of these Donovan Mitchell negotiations, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I don't know too much about the whole setting the deadline and then being like, we're going to sign him if you don't trade for him thing. I, I don't know how much sense any of that makes, but the deal itself, I think, is like kind of fine. Like, it's not incredible value. It's not the worst deal in the history of the world that should have people like running for the hills. Like, if you think about it, $107 million, he got $3 million more over the same number of years than Jalen Brunson did. So he's basically going to be getting, like, essentially average starter money over the next four years after this one, which, based on his career to date, like, he's been, you know, an, an average slightly above, slightly below average starter over these three years so far. Obviously, if he outperforms that deal, that's a good problem to have. The The only way that you get into a real issue is if he outperforms it so dramatically that it becomes impossible to sign him to an extension three years down the line, kind of like what the Celtics are dealing with with Jalen Brown right now. But I think it's possible that in the next CBA negotiations that those rules change a little bit and you're able to sign guys to extensions um, that are, are larger than you are able to sign them to right now and the way this extension is structured if i'm connecting dots correctly i don't think it would be the kind of deal that even if he performs at a level below what he's getting paid i don't think it would be the kind of deal that you can't include in a trade somewhere down the line like they structured brunson's deal to be declining i don't think that's the case with rj because ian begley uh, reported that the starting salary is believed to be around $27 million. Um, and if it was declining, that wouldn't be able to be the case. So that leads me to believe that it's either like a straight $26,750,000 per year for all four years, or it's one of those deals that either goes down and then goes up or goes up and then goes down. So he's not really going to be making more than you know $27, 28000000 million at any point during any of those four seasons unless he's good enough that he makes uh, you know, an all NBA or all defense team based on the reporting that's been out there about the incentives. So with the cap 
expected to go up considerably toward the tail end or toward the middle of that deal, um, he's going to be getting like no more than 18 or 19% of the cap, significantly less, obviously, than the starting salary of a max deal. So to me, the, the value is like fine. And I don't necessarily view it as like they decided now that he's the future of the franchise or he can't be in a Donovan Mitchell trade or he can't be traded anywhere down the line. Like, I think that they signed him to a deal that they thought was pretty good value over the ensuing four years. And, you know, the trade discussions are going to be what they're going to be. I So I agree with all that. I mean, the one thing I, I might even, you know, pick out a little bit is I'm not even sure there was a there was a, a, a contract structure that was available that would protect them from he blows up. And as you say, with the, with the, the, the salary based off next year's cap and then probably getting a significant rise between then and the end of the deal, like he's really good. Then the max, then, then what his max would be in, in unrestricted free agency will be high enough that like, it's almost, you couldn't sign him to an extension now that would make him extension uh, favorable. If he's suddenly at a, like an all NBA level player in, in, in four years. I like even the the, the death side. I don't even think that's that there. One should consider that much. Um, yeah, I've I've you know I've I've certainly said my piece on on RJ. I've never been the, I've never been as big on him as Knicks fans are. I think he's a good player. I think, as you say, you know twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. That's what good starting wings make. Like not all stars, not all NBA players, not franchise defining guys, but like a good starting wing. A, who you know there aren't that many of them. Um, that's what they make. Um, is is yeah, it particularly like, there aren't yeah. that many that are both um, quality at worst defenders and can do at least a little bit with the ball in their hands. Yeah, like a lot of the wings that are NBA quality defenders are one or the other, or they're you know strict three and D guys. It's rare to have the guy who can do stuff with the ball in his hands, even if he's not you know, the most efficient guy in the world just yet and can also play defense. Um, I think that that's why a lot of people that are down on RJ bring up the, like, Andrew Wiggins and Harrison Barnes um, comparisons for him. And I think the difference here is that, um, A, RJ did not get the max like those guys did, and I don't think he's going to be in position to be, like, the number one guy on his team really at any point during these four years, unless he becomes so good that he has to be that guy, if that makes sense. Like Wiggins was kind of the number one because they didn't really have anybody else on the perimeter to create shots. And he was really the only guy that could do it at a high level. Obviously Zach Levine wound up doing some of that as well. Um, And then Harrison Barnes, when he signed in Dallas, he was like miscast as the guy there for two years and then other than that, he's basically just been a high-level role player his entire career. And now, obviously, Wiggins has sort of you know, reinvented himself in that same mold. And if that's the outcome for RJ, that this deal is perfectly fine and probably good value. If he's better than that, it's great value. If he's not as good as that, it's not disaster value. But just like you said, the, the archetype of type of player is just because he's 6'7", can do stuff with the ball in his hands – and, like, obviously he needs to get better at a lot of things with the ball in his hands, but he can, and he's shown that he has the ability to knock down shots and can play defense. Like, that is a useful player. Like, 
We should probably see him score at like league average efficiency before we say he's an all-star. But that doesn't mean he just if you say he's like not an all-star or not all NBA doesn't mean he's not good. Like he's good, you know. I no, I I actually think it's, it's funny. Those are two players. I think Wiggins in particular. This is almost might even present kind of the path not traveled for for Wiggins a little bit. Um, I think we saw sort of in Golden State the really the Wiggins that best fits his skill set. And, and you know, the problem it was that, that that was a role that wasn't really available to him because he was sort of first when Minnesota didn't have the talent around him for him to be a compliment. Then when he gets the Supermax kind of, kind of uh, extension, then all, all of a sudden he is paid in such a way that it makes it hard to, to add someone to the team who can have him play the appropriate role. And I think that was... You know, from from my standpoint, that was always the worry with RJ, is that you know his the the notion of him as this like franchise tentpole star would lead him down the path where he would you know if they get him sign him to a max and he starts he starts you know the the twenty three twenty four season making thirty five million a year, adding the players like that go above him in the offensive pecking order that would allow him to play kind of a secondary or off-ball role um, pretty difficult even in, in that in you know in the context of team building and so that would force him into a larger role than I think his skills at least that he's shown so far can bear so, like yeah I'm you know now I, I, I have sort of questions about you know how the Knicks continue to put the roster around but I don't think that that this 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 contract is at all that this contract is not the problem. It's sort of other pieces that are there aside from it that will, will be the obstacle rather than, you know, RJ Barrett being an albatross. Yeah. I think it's sort of the same issue. I, I don't think this, this contract is an issue at all either. I think it's the same issue that they've had for going on like 20 years now, which is that they don't have the guy who creates everything for everyone else. You know, like they have guys that can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but they don't have, you know, the premier high level creator that, you know, completely warps opposing defenses and turns, you know, RJ from last year into Wiggins from last year or into Jalen Brown or into Jimmy Butler or whoever it is. But I don't think this hamstrings you from potentially getting that guy at any point either. Like you said, the thing that might have done that was if he was getting paid, you know, 35, 36 million from the jump. But this is not that. Like, this is significantly short of a max contract. And I, I, I'm, like, really interested to hear RJ talk about the deal that he signed. Um, at, because I, think, I, do, I do think it provides a window into, you know, what he thinks of himself right now. Obviously, he carried the reputation coming from high school and then into college as this guy who was going to be sort of the franchise-defining star. And it's not like he's you know, been a, a disappointment. Like, he's having a pretty good career for a number three pick through three years so far. It's it's not like he, you know, fell off the face of the earth like he's Anthony Bennett or anything like that. He's just been, you know, a pretty good player so far, which is sort of what you'd expect for a guy who's 21, 22 years old. But obviously, you know, he's still really young, and you would expect that he could continue to get better. And there was a lot of, like, you know, will he get the max? Are they going to offer him the max? And it turns out, you didn't need to offer him the max, which is really interesting to me. You know, a guy coming from, you know, being the number three overall pick, 
out of his third year where he just averaged 20 points a game and, you know, over the second half of the year it was like 25 or something like that, didn't come out and say, like, you need to give me the max or I'm not signing anything. He signs for, you know, an, an extension that pays him basically what he's been worth so far, and that's really fascinating to me. I, I think it's the – this is sensible. This is it's, – it's unusual in this regard – in that a lot of times my criticism of when teams like go and give a guy a big max extend uh, Michael Porter Jr. last year is probably, I mean, that, that's almost a special case because of the concerns, but even without that, just like level of performance, it, it and why I thought that Phoenix was, you know, with, was not unwise to not just give DeAndre Ayton, the, the, the full max extension last year now, what they did in between to in terms of that relationship is a whole other whole other question. But this is this is you know, it balances some of it, it balances the benefits and risks on each side mm-hmm. of this deal. Like, yeah, is is he leaving a little bit of money on the table if he blows up? Well sure, but at the same time, like the the team is also bearing some risks that he either regresses or suffers injuries or, or, or what have you. Uh, and what happens more often is these get maxed out and the team, like, for no good reason, it seems like, other than, like, you know, the, the, the supposed benefits of, of doing, of, of being player-friendly, whatever that means, like, having a good team is probably the most player-friendly thing you can do. But, like, it, 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 and then they, they, you know, put them, they take on all the risks themselves and maybe it's fine, but it doesn't take that many... Um, instances of it of of a deal being you know bad before it even starts to realize why that's kind of unwise right and and i think that there might have been you know particular risk of it in this case because of the whole you know haven't signed a first round pick to a contract second contract longer than one year since charlie ward thing which is why like when my friends would ask me you know before the season ended like oh are you giving rj an extension this summer and i was like not if he's gonna ask for the max because like he hasn't been a max guy yet, and the worst thing that can happen if you don't give him the max is that he comes out and earns it, and then you give it to him next year anyway. You know, so it was like you don't need to do that right now. In a similar fashion to the Nuggets didn't need to do it with Michael Porter last summer, even though he probably had played during that regular season at the level like approaching what a you know a rookie max guy would get. So it's a little bit. Of a different I would. Situation. I would pick up. I would. Uh, I. I would uh, pick a bone with that. But I'm sure you can. I guess even he had played at a higher level the, than RJ has so far. Um, I, I'm not actually sure I agree with that. To to get to this deal, I think I think it's pretty good business, honestly. Yeah. Like one of my friends, uh, as soon as it came out, I think people got, people got the sticker shock at the four year, hundred and twenty million dollar report that came out first. Um, I very quickly was like, if if an agent says the deal is worth up to $120 million, it's not worth $120 million. Right. Uh, but I, I think you also have to remember it in the context. Like, you know, a few years ago, four years, $120 million was like the full max for, you know, 30% of the cap. Now it's not close to that. It's, again, it's like basically average starter money over the next four years after this one. So... The, the sticker shock, I think, plus it's not 4120, it's 4107. So, you know, I, I think it was a pretty good piece of business. And I, I'm not sure, like, the immediate thing was Woj with the framing of, you know, how it's going to affect negotiations with the Jazz over Donovan Mitchell. 
and we had in Slack like a slight disagreement over who's uh, who's, who's uh, water is being carried leakers. here. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, and I, in, in talking about it on Twitter over the last couple of days, I've come around to like the the extension was given to Woj by you know the the agency, which he put you know in the tweet. And then I'm I'm still pretty confident that the oh this complicates things because the Jazz really wanted R.J. Barrett and now they want more picks. That is coming from Danny. Like <laughs> even if we didn't, even if we had been consistently hearing until the last couple of weeks that the Jazz weren't particularly interested in R.J. Barrett, the only per, like the only side that helps in negotiations is Utah. So to me, it had to have come from that side and. Um, I saw Jake Fisher was on with Chris Herring earlier today and was talking about how um, in the negotiations the last couple of weeks, Ainge was angling for Barrett, not in an effort to keep him and sign him, but to the, then flip him again somewhere down the line. Um, so that is potentially interesting to me too, but I, I don't think it really affects things that much except in so far as now Ainge is going to be like, you have to give me four picks because I wanted RJ and you're not trading him to me. Or, or you know, two picks in Quentin Grimes or, you know, what have you. Um, like, may, it, like, when the rumors started to surface that there was maybe, like, a part of this involved Barrett going to L.A. and Westbrook and more picks going to, to Utah, that started to make sense. As far as like, I, it did not make a ton of sense for me that that Utah, unless their evaluation of the player was was no, this this guy is the guy, which you know, okay, um, uh, but I, it did not make it because as as sensible as this as we agree this contract is, doesn't really do much for a team that's that's just starting to bottom out, mm-hmm. like the, like, and there may be and and there might even be some if he if he improves. Uh, somewhat, there might even be some like, no, actually, this hurts because he's actually going to win us a couple extra games, which we wouldn't want. You know, in the in the the no, we would like that. We would like the the, the big French guy next year, kind of uh, kind of uh, situation. So, but it may, uh, him going to a third team makes sense. I you know, I kind of the the messaging about this was all very weird, and I kind of almost don't care about that because I think you've probably heard similar things that I have where. The Jazz's interest in R.J. Barrett uh, depends very much on who you talk to. But I think there is still a lot going on with discussions between the two teams about Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, but I think it's sort of the same discussion that's been going on for the last month and a half since the Jazz did the Rudy Gobert trade. Like, it's still Danny Ainge wants, you know, four picks and he wants... Quentin Grimes and the Knicks want to give him two picks and they don't want to give him Quentin Grimes. And how do you bridge that gap? Do you bring in a third team like the Lakers that then takes, you know, Fournier off the jazz hands and they get an extra two picks from the Lakers to take Russell Westbrook. And that's how Danny Ainge gets his four picks. Or do the Knicks budge on what they're going to do? Or do they throw in another one of the young guys and another one of the protected picks? Like that's still the gap that needs to be bridged. And it's the same one we've been hearing that needs to be bridged again, since like the middle of last month, um, everybody will get back from vacation next week. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens like after Labor Day. That's usually how these kind of things go. Um, but 
I don't think, like, I'm sure that they're batting stuff around, but I think it's still the same things that need to be bridged. Is that what you've been hearing? Yeah, it's also, um, you thinking of, you mentioned everyone getting back from vacation. Um, you know, both, uh, uh, you know, our friend Fred Katz and, and Sarah Todd, the, the jazz beat writer who I had on last week, are, I believe, both on, on vacation right now. So, of course, this would be the perfect time for something to happen because, God forbid, someone actually gets to, some time off to unplug. Um, but, but yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, what, just not, not, not necessarily what the Knicks are going to do, but in terms of what, what, what you, as someone say, you, you become Leon Rose. Mm -hmm. Um, first of all, like how much, how interested are you in Donovan Mitchell per se? And then assuming you are like, where do you, where do you come down? Because it seems like let's be honest. If you're saying you're going to get him for two first round picks, that's not happening. That's just not happening. Unless you, unless like you manage to, to draw this out and he decides he's going to be, he's going to make everyone miserable in sort of a, a hard nest kind of way. Like that's, that's just not where, that's not where the market for star players has been. If it's two first rounders, there's, there's five other teams that, that could beat that. Yeah. I don't, think that that's particularly likely that he's going to like come in and sabotage the team. I also don't think like, I don't think there's as much risk of like the jazz keep him and all of a sudden they win too many games. I don't think there's as much risk of that as other people do. If they're going to keep him for like a month or six weeks or whatever, I think at most that's adding like two, three wins to their season long total. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily changing your life. And I think that, whatever upset it causes to keep him around is worth whatever extra value you wind up getting out of the deal. If that's how it goes down, you know, from that's obviously from the Utah perspective, um, at at least in my opinion, Um, from the Knicks perspective, like I'm interested, but I'm also not so interested that I'm doing what it takes to actually make the deal according to what Danny wants, I think. Um, because, you know, you look at the history of the guys that have gotten the, you know, five, six, seven first round pick kind of haul, and those guys are all the last guys in the door, um, with the exception of Paul George, who the, the reason that happened was because it also got Kawhi in the door at the same time. But you're looking at like the Drew Holiday trade and the Anthony Davis trade and even the Rudy Gobert trade. Those guys are the, the third, second, third guys in the door. For the Knicks, it would be the first guy in the door. And like, clearly, like, I, I don't think that you take, you know, Fournier and Toppin and Grimes or whatever off this team, if that's what the deal ends up being. And at Donovan Mitchell, I don't think they're suddenly a title contender. And I don't think they're necessarily a title contender during the remaining three years on Mitchell's contract. So you do have to make another move at some point. And if you're giving up everything, you're not getting anybody in the draft. You're sapping at least some of your depth by giving up a couple of the interesting young guys that have been productive when they've seen the court. So you're not a particularly deep team necessarily either. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, where are we getting our improvement from? Which is why you need to, you know, not give up everything for Donovan Mitchell. If it was like, if you're going to say like, we're, this is obviously not happening, but if it's like, uh, we're, we're trying to trade for Luca. Yeah. Give up the four unprotected first round picks. Like that guy is good enough where he's the difference between you being a contender and not, I don't view Mitchell as necessarily um, on that level. So for me, I don't think that I, like I would be interested if I could get him at a price that makes sense. But I don't think a price that makes sense for the Knicks 
is a price that Danny Ainge is going to be interested in based on what we've seen and heard to date. But just both in this trade specifically and, you know, the the history of the Danny almost. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and, and I don't think it's just because he got, you know, five first rounders or whatever it was for Gobert. Like, we've seen throughout his history, he doesn't, like, negotiate. Fred wrote a good story about this earlier this summer. Like, he does not negotiate. He has a price. And if you want to meet it, great, he'll make the deal. And if you don't, well, then he's not going to make the deal with you, which is which is why we've seen, you know, so many of these deals that have been rumored or whatever not happen because of seemingly silly reasons. And a lot of times they do turn out to be pretty silly reasons. Like, you know, you're not going to put in uh, Trayvon Waters or whatever, the guy the Celtics picked 16th in whatever year and didn't turn out to be anything. But that's how he operates. And we've all known that for a while now. So to me, it's like, do the Knicks give him what he wants or do they not? Yeah. I mean, I think that your analysis of what, where, what he wants leaves the team. Um, at the same time, I do, you know, there, there are some benefits, I think, to a little bit of a compromise here where there might not be in, in a lot of the situations where, where we like, it, we've more often seen situations where, um, where he hasn't, when, when Ainge hasn't made a move, it's like, hey, my team is really good already, and this is like, I've got one or two move, more moves to make, and I'm not in a rush. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm, I'm starting over and, you know, actually starting from a clean slate and giving my new coach a real team to coach instead of, you know, a situation where we've got a guy who knows he wants to get traded who's going to have a 40% usage for however long he's on the team. And then we have to, then we don't give our rookie coach a training camp with his actual team and and all these things. So there is some you know there's some like aside from whatever no, yeah, whatever I, happens in the trade. I think there's you know there's there are reasons to suspect there might be more wiggle. So I think that there is benefit to it. I just think that the benefit of that like if you're if the gap is as wide as it appears right. to be, then. I think you get more benefit out of waiting and seeing if a, the Knicks become more desperate, B somebody else steps up with a different offer that you haven't seen so far. Um, or C like just play it out. And next summer you might be able to deal them. Like, I don't think that that's particularly ideal, but I do think waiting a few weeks to see if you can get more. Um, I don't think causes as much harm as other people seem to think you're still like as soon as the trade gets made, you're getting a clean slate with the new coach and you just signed him to a five-year deal. He's very young. It's not like you're going to be like, if he doesn't, you know, get wins in 23, 24, he's not the guy that's like, not what's going on here. So like what's six weeks or whatever compared to whatever your long-term plan is to me, you know? I, I'm, and on the wins front, I'm not sure that matters. I think it's just it's it's more the reps of like this is this is how I'm going to do my team, and it's just like if everyone knows that it, like it's sort of almost reverse substitute teacher. It's like a reverse. It's like a substitute class. You know, it's like, well, isn't that you know, good? because then you won't win many games. I mean, that's that's sort of I think that's locked in. So I think it's more about the, I think in, in that sense, it's more about the learning process. 
Mm. Like I don't like you know, especially with the lot with the you know the the lottery odds being flattened. Like those extra couple wins don't matter a whole lot. I think that teams have shown that if they really want to bottom out, you know, second half of the year, they can get that done. So I'm um, you know I. I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't be as concerned about that from Utah's standpoint. It was, it'd be more just the, like let, let's let let's let the guy do his job, and like if it's it's and if it's just your your roster's a placeholder until you make this trade, you're not letting him do that. That's um, true. Yeah. No. I, I see the merits uh, of both arguments. I think. Um, I, I think particularly this year, if the if it's like really Wembanyama or bust in the draft. I don't know anything about any other player other than him, but the, the lottery odds, like it doesn't matter as much if you minimize your drop to five by having the worst record than it does. Like if it's right. just him, then right. having the fourth record, fourth best record is just as good as having the worst record. Um, but I, I don't know if that's actually the case, but you, typically the reason to finish last is not necessarily to get, the number one pick it's to minimize how far you can drop. But if it's just this guy, then fourth is as good as first. I mean, my, you know, I, I, I don't style myself a draft guy, but from what people who do, it seems like there's Wembenyama and then there's like, you know, three, four, five other very interesting players. So it's like, it does seem like it's one and then two through five might be functionally very similar. Give Got or it. take what give or take what people think of Scoot Henderson, I suppose. Who I frankly don't know much about other than he's someone he's sort of the the presumptive number two in this draft. Um so all that said though, what if if you were what is the, the reasonable compromise? Like I don't think two first rounders is a serious offer. I don't think all the young no, guys I, I four that first rounders is a serious ask. So what's the middle ground if you're the Knicks that you think would be your stopping point? I mean, my stopping point would probably be, again, lower than what it would take to actually get it done, just based on what we know um, from Ainge. But I, I don't I think it's somewhat strange that the protected first rounders that the Knicks are owed and apparently putting in the deal to some level are being viewed as like basically nothing like they're not. Obviously, they're not unprotected Knicks first rounders and they're not unprotected first rounders at all. But they do have value, like three of them just got. The, the Thunder, the or two of them and another one that the Knicks sent out, they got the Thunder the 11th pick in the draft. So they do, you know, uh, coming from not in the draft at all. So there, there is at least some value there. Um, and I don't think that they should necessarily be viewed as not valuable. And I don't think they should be viewed as just like throw-ins from the Knicks' perspective either. Like, oh, you know, we'll just throw in all four protected picks that were owed. I, I don't think that's particularly wise either. Like, for me, like, I, I would maybe offer two of the unprotected first and two of the protected firsts, but I don't think that that would work. And Utah wants all four and at least two, so like it's it's kind of a an unbridgeable gap. Like maybe you go three and three, and that's the compromise. I would be wary of doing that. Then really, all you have left is an unprotected first, an extra protected first, and you got to like wait two years before you can make a deal involving multiple. Uh, of your own first round picks and that's pretty difficult um so i i don't know what the middle ground is unless it's you know the knicks coming up and meeting their offer that's because that's how danny works um but like i don't see him going down to like even if it's two unprotected first and all four of the protected first and grimes and Toppin. like 
I don't think he's doing that. That's insane. I don't, like okay, like that, like that's. That I I I know I've been I've been making the point since the Gobert trade that for a, that for players of like all star caliber, um, which you know I'm not the biggest Mitchell fan, but uh, he's 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 there or thereabouts. Um, the the asking price is give me all you got, and the Knicks the Knicks almost are 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 putting that to the test because they almost in terms of tradable pieces. They they may even have more than Minnesota did, and the reason why Minnesota gave up so much is they just had more going into the deal than than like the Clippers did when they were getting Paul George or the Bucks did when they were getting uh, Drew Holiday. So like so th- this this might be the the uh, king that that new newfound uh, equilibrium, I suppose, if if the Knicks are able to do it for less than that. But I still think that's like. That that's the that that would to me that's the epitome of looking a gift horse in the mouth. Like I don't know. Like it seems to me like two like two unprotected, two of the protected, and two of the young guys. Like that that that's that seems really good to me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that seems like a pretty good offer to me. Um, I, I would like I would try to limit it to one of the young guys, but I don't think that that would work. Um, but I mean, I think also one thing working against Ainge is he doesn't have, like, a clear, obvious other suitor right now. Like, the Heat can only trade two unprotected first-round picks, and everybody knows that Danny doesn't want to pay Tyler Hero a whole bunch of money over the next few years. And there's no, like, he can't say, like, oh, Tyler Hero, like, and Gabe Vincent, and that's, like, going to change their <laughs> lives. Like, you know, and and there's no necessarily other team that can reasonably match what the Knicks can offer with their B plus offer. Like that, that team just doesn't seem to be out there right now, which is, you know, why the Knicks don't need to offer or feel they don't need to offer everything under the sun because who's beating what they're offering. But, you know, like you said, the price has basically been, give me everything you got except for the one asset you value the most. Um, so, that's sort of why we've been in a stalemate for a month and a half, I guess. So, you know, finishing up here, I guess, since this seems like it's been kind of, as you say, it's been a stalemate for a month and this has been talked to death. And, you know, we will wait for the next round of messaging, I suppose, to see if there's been any movement at all. <laughs> uh, uh, you think this gets done or no? I think it gets done. You think the Knicks cave? Kinda like I, I think that there is a point that I don't think they go all four, but I think they find a, a workaround somehow, and they're like, "Fine, you know, we'll give you Grimes and Toppin and three of the unprotected first, and all four of the protected first, or whatever it is." And Ainge is like, "See, I got more first rounders than anybody ever," and uh, the Knicks are like, "See, we got Donovan Mitchell and didn't give up." all of our unprotected first-round picks or R.J. Barrett or whichever of quickly topping and Grimes gets to stay. Yeah, I know which side of that I like better than the other. So do I. Uh, I have a feeling it would be in the minority. I mean, with, you know, the proof will be in the pudding, but I think, like, as sort of as you alluded to earlier, that's a, that would be a trade that makes a whole lot more sense for a, for if you're putting together a team that is, like, 
already a borderline contender. Um, you know, I would like even like I didn't like the Atlanta giving up all they got for Dejounte Murray, but that's much more of a team already than. Like, plus, it wasn't like they were giving up you know half of their rotation in that deal either, or all of their picks that they could trade. You know, it was yeah. well, they give up three first round picks, two unprotected. It was, um, was it? Was it? Was it not four? Or four and three? Yeah, got it. Um, was, or yeah, I mean, I think they gave up one fewer pick than Minnesota did for Gobert. But right. Okay, yeah, um, I have it written down somewhere, but I don't yeah. have the document. It's been a, it's been a long summer. <laughs> yeah, that was, think about how long ago that was. Yeah, my God. Uh, but the but the point is, is even though Atlanta wasn't so good last year, you can look and see like okay. There, there. You, you can see how you mold a contention level roster out of more or less what Atlanta has, and I don't, I don't think, like even if, even if there were no player rotations going out from the Knicks, I don't know, like, like you, like say it's, it's, say they were able to somehow do the deal just for like all the picks and Fournier and some other salary, like, like how good is that team? Is that a, is that a top? You know, it's. I I don't think it's a guaranteed top six. It's one that you know could maybe get in there. Um, it's, it's not it's a home court team. Though. It's not a home court team though in the East, is it? Barring some some pretty substantial so. injuries otherwhere, other 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 places. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really think so. But um, you and I are from, probably lower than consensus on on Mitchell though. Yeah, and I'm not like this guy's not good. I'm like this guy is an all star, but not you know one of the ten best guys in the league. Like, I mean, which, you know, you're still really fucking good if you're an all star. Yeah, I mean, I think he's close. Like, you know, the way I put it, he's closer to the 40th best player than the 10th. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who was, um, or I guess the last three years, he's made all star every year, um, and before that, I guess was kind of on the bubble for a year. So he's like a guy who's seen as like, he should probably be an all-star, but not necessarily. He's definitely an all-star seemingly on an annual basis. If that makes right. sense. So, I mean, I, I, mean I, you know, you ask me who I think's better between him and Drew Holiday. Like maybe there's some, some bias creeping in there, but I don't think that's particularly close. I think it's Drew and Drew, Drew has made any all-star games in that, in that span. So, but that's, you know, but that's not, that's, but still there, I mean, they're reasonably similar level of players and neither of them are going to threaten an all NBA team anytime soon. Yeah, although did, wasn't Mitchell third team all NBA? Was he? Well, yeah. Or, wasn't Julius, wasn't, wasn't Julius Rand, But anyway, you know, you know what I mean. Just um, actually, he wasn't anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know why I thought he was. Um, oh, you can't. He, I guess I'm looking at the <laughs> voting. Um, he came. Reasonably close to making third team All NBA two years ago. And it's, uh, eh, actually, not that close. It's twenty five votes away. Yeah. So anyway, um, so you, as a long suffering Knicks fan, uh, expect that however this uh, plays out, you will continue to suffer. That's that's the takeaway from from it. Yeah, I mean that's my like default expectation <laughs> of everything with like all my teams. Okay. At this point. Like as a Knicks fan, I'm going to suffer. As a Cowboys fan, I'm going to suffer. As a Ranger fan, I'm going to suffer. As a Yankee fan, I'm going to suffer until they decide to be the Yankees again. 
Um, so I, I feel so badly for you about all those things. I don't feel badly for you at all. Nobody feels um, bad for me. Yeah. I'm from uh, like I'm from New York, and I'm a Cowboys fan, so nobody feels bad for me in any sport. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, any, you know anything else we should do? we should hit on this, or uh, can I can I let you go? No, you can let me go. Uh, I'm happy to, if anybody's got questions, if they want to throw them in, I'm happy to stick around. No worries, Jared. Uh, thanks a lot, as always, for uh, joining me on short notice to, uh, to, to chat this through. Uh, fun, as always. Thanks, folks, for listening. I will, uh, I'm not sure I'll be back this week. I will be back next week, I believe, with uh, uh, Professor Tim Chartier from uh, Davidson has a new book out that I think is, a, is about as good an intro to sports analytics as I have seen, and I wanted to get him on to talk about that. So look for that next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Talk to you all later.